Hi, Mike. What? Hi. Have you have you gotten you... all crotchety and old? No, but you're kind of dropping out here. I am. Is there like a I don't know solar spot, sunspot? Uh, I did sync sync problems. Yeah, there's a lot did of you jitter. Turn off your sync. There's some jitter on the line. No, did you turn off your did you turn off your your Dropbox? I turned everything off. Everything's off. Did you turn off your App Store? Because the App Store will sync now in the background too. Did you turn off your your what's what's the other one? The like Fast Blaze Blaze Stream Back Back Blaze Back Blaze. You turn that off. I'm gonna I'm gonna check Activity Monitor, and okay. um, no, I'm I'm, che- I'm checking mine, and it says Skype is using a lot of bandwidth, so I'm gonna quit that quick, and okay. then I'll get back to you. Okay. Um. Yeah, nothing on my computers. We should do this over the ISDNs. I used to have an ISDN line. It was awesome. You had, but you had like a, a one to connect to the to the ISP. Right, but you could call. You could you could hook two phones up to it and make calls. Hmm. Because there was you know bonded pair, um, which was kind of awesome. And. Um, also, yeah, ISDN was awesome. I had a Netgear Ethernet-based ISDN router. It was a big deal because, uh, okay, I won't get into it. I'm sorry. I, I think I just passed out there for a second. <laughs> I was going to start talking about uh, parallel port throughput and, and Diet Coke. Yeah. Cheetos. Uh, that's never really Cheetos. And MST3K. Yeah. Mm, okay. Let's just move back into my parents' house. No, I'm okay. Mm. As fun as that would be. So how's your week? It's going well, I think. It's a Tuesday. It's uh it's Guy Fox Day. It is? Oh yeah. yeah. November fifth. Remember, remember the fifth of November. Yeah. Um what what are you doing to celebrate? I wasn't planning on doing anything. Oh. Hmm. I, I'm not sure that... I don't know how I feel about that. I thought you were a patriot. Like a, like a Catholic who wants to kill the king kind of patriot? Um, yeah. Or or, we, or we're talking the new... I was just talking the, the new the ones. Re-branded the rebranded. Yeah. The comic book one. Or whatever they are. The like... Yeah. Okay. So they should hack somebody. Um, hey, speaking of hacking, uh, last week during the show, we mentioned that, it, or last time we did a show, I guess we didn't do one last week, but whatever, uh, show we did talked about Adobe being hacked. Turns yes, out that turned out well. Yeah. Something like 130 million user accounts, um, usernames, passwords, hints, credit card numbers. Um, credit card numbers too well or some sort of credit card information i don't know Adobe yeah. is not handling this well yeah no i've gotten two letters from them in the mail saying I, that they are more than willing to pay the introductory fee for my fraud protection which will then i'm sure be as easy to cancel as say <laughs> a free credit report yeah experience yeah um in addition it be, it's pretty clear um some or most of their code um 
Got yeah, out. source code to Photoshop, it sounds like. Yeah, and a variety of other things. Um, so... so are we going to see, like... I mean, I guess you can't put it on the App Store. But I was going to say, are we going to see, uh, like, knockoffs of their apps on... Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's an issue of, like, does having their code make it any easier to develop a, an app? Like... Right. I mean, is it even possible to compile Photoshop anymore? Right. I mean, so it's like, if you have the skills to do it, you could probably just re-implement it more, less painfully. Um, and if you don't have the skills to do it, why don't you just sell pirate copies like people do already? Right. I, am, I guess so. I'm just thinking of the people who like will go on an open source project, check it out from GitHub, compile it, and start selling it mm. with a different logo. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger issue will be all of the potential security holes it's going to let people find um, since it's easier to do it when you have the code than when you're, like, pen testing. Right, and considering that Flash and PDFs are the two single largest security vulnerabilities on the Internet. Yeah. Let's hope they didn't get the source to those two. Um, Yeah. Not that you can't like embed a PDF or embed a Photoshop file in PDF and get it to run action scripts or something. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, oh boy. So it's yeah unfortunate, and and it seems that um, the same place where this breach was discovered, uh, some server somewhere, um, also had evidence of a number of other fairly large and previously unreported um, intrusions. So yeah, I mean. Uh, this seems almost inevitable. Like, you know, I feel like at this point it's multiple times per year that I get at least an alert saying my information has been compromised. Yeah. I mean, the thing is there are, you know, it tends to be people who shouldn't have really had your information to begin with. You know, a lot of the ones that I seem to get are like, Oh, you know, we lost your credit card data. We shouldn't have been storing it because you bought something from us once. Right. But this seems to be like these, you know, this is all like, if you're going to run a cloud service, you have to keep this information, which means you have to like actually have set this all up well. Yeah. Right? Like this is, this seems like due diligence before shipping the product. Right. You know, it's not like... Google's never written me and said like, "Oh, whoops, we uh, we lost your Gmail login and password." Yeah, I mean, it seems like even this... Apple hasn't lost stuff, have they? I don't think so. Um, they had that issue with developer.apple, but but they shut it down. I don't. I mean, they, right? They... I don't know that anything it was ever clear what what all was compromised besides maybe email addresses. But I don't know. Right, but this is like, I mean, the stuff that that they've been able to get and from even from the data on the server like even given like a copy of the hard drive the stuff that they were able to retrieve from that is you know borderline gross negligence yeah like they weren't doing anything that you do well yeah i mean among other things they were storing the passwords encrypted but not hashed um so they're using like which means you can get back to the to the ASCII, right? You get back to the actual passcode. Like the proper way to do it is to do what's called a one-way hash, which means you convert the password into something, and there's no way to convert it back the other direction. And that way, 
when you want to check someone's password, you have them enter the password, you convert it using the same technique and compare the two converted results. So that way you don't store the password anywhere on the server. I mean, that doesn't solve the problem for all cases because you can just take random words and hash them using the same hash and yeah i mean you know there's there's a line of thinking that says if you use a salted hash um it's harder to do that but if they had access to your server and all your source code chances are they could have found the code that contained the hash i mean you know at some point once someone has access they can get access to all that stuff right but but the thing is then you still have to generate all the hash tables if you don't use a salted hash you can start with like the entire dictionary already hashed Right. Although that said, um, some of the modern password cracking tools can do like hundreds of millions of passwords per second on a GPU. So it becomes Hmm. fairly trivial. Okay. Um, You know, there's, especially with the type of hashing most people use, I mean, there are slower hashes specifically to make that more problematic, but you know, that's a losing battle in general. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, some of these modern GPU accelerated password crackers are pretty insane. So nonetheless, Adobe didn't even do that. No, no. And um, again, they just you know haven't had full disclosure, and it may be that they still don't know what all was lost or how severe the penetration was. But right. Um, I mean, how do you figure that sort of thing out if the lock? You know, if someone's smart enough to delete the logs or change them. Right. I guess you can check like router traffic to see what left the server. I mean, generally, none of that's going to be logged. But you know, presumably, they have access to the same stuff that you know Krebs had access to on the server that they found. Um, well, you would, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, Creative Cloud still a success? I mean. The thing is that, you know, I ha- I've had an Adobe account for years and years and years, irregardless of Creative Cloud, irrespective of Creative Cloud. Irre- um, anyways, Independent of? So, you know, that would have been compromised regardless. I don't know what, you know, if, I, people are trying to link this to proof that Creative Cloud's a bad idea. Um, well, I don't think it's a bad idea, but I think it shows that Adobe does not have this sort of server chops necessary to run a large service like this yeah and that they should probably be investing a lot in better you know procedures and talent and management yeah although i think the lesson from apple is that you know that's pretty hard to do even when you have all the money in the world yeah although i don't know i'm still i'm it just can't, it can be, I, can it really be that hard? Yes. To find people. Yeah. To Who can do this at scale, I think so. Yeah. I just, I guess I've always assumed it's just a matter of priority. Um, I am. Because it's easy to imagine that Apple's like, you know, really sitting there every day. They have like uh you know, they've basically written a blank check to some recruiter whose job is to go ask everybody to come work for them. But I just can't imagine that's actually true. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's a mix of finding people, finding people who can fit into your team and who can, you know, deploy in the way and at the pace you want to deploy. Like, I think you can probably, well, you know. That might have to change. Right, right. <laughs> if you don't want the crazy PR debacle that this is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is that this Adobe thing's been going on for a couple weeks now, and I haven't seen the level of outcry really rise beyond the the initial sort of, oh, that sucks. I'm surprised there isn't actually more outrage yeah. um, among creative professionals. But again, maybe it's that we've become all, all become so blasé about this. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like every, you know, all of that information is already in the world with the possible exception of my credit card. Which I just, you know, I've been trained by the credit companies not give a shit. Yep. You know, they've always said like, well, fuck it. You know, we don't care. Just keep using it. And uh, if it gets stolen, we'll turn it off. You know, I mean, they have sort of a mixed, you know, we get to see both sides of it because we get to deal with the PCI compliance. And we also get to, you know, have personal credit cards. And it's like, you know. My girlfriend got a chip and pin card sent to her the other day for no reason. Like, that's great that it's finally happening, but, you know, how far behind are we on all this stuff? Yeah. And it's just because they don't want to make it inconvenient to use your credit card. They'd rather pay the, you know, billions of dollars a year and Well, because they don't pay that. They pass it on to the retailers who are defrauded. Yes and no. Um, Usually they'll suck up the cost of um, like real fraud. You know, the problem is we don't, we're in a position where we pay for the fraud because we don't have, we're not shipping physical product. And so it's hard to complain too much about losing a, you know, serial number. Right. But if you like sell a sofa online and someone signs for it and, you know, it turns out it wasn't the person, the credit card company is the one that eats that. Hmm. at least the cost. I'm sure they don't pay retail, but I'm sure they'll reimburse you at the cost of the thing. Well, that's good, at least. I didn't know that. I thought they put their retailer on the hook. I don't think so, no. I mean, unless unless they were, unless it's a PCI compliance issue or something where they were, like, at fault. Um, but otherwise, I think they'll... You know, they'll try to get you with a bunch of forms first. But. Right. Hmm. Well, I've been using Square Cash a bit more as an alternative. Um, it is sort of, you know, we've got this, this strange system in America where we still use checks and things to exchange money. And we have an electronic banking system where every way, every time you move money around, fees are imposed, except for checks, basically. And I feel like that really holds us back because we end up then using credit cards or. Yeah. We should put in a link to the Planet Money podcast about this. I didn't know there was. Mm, They just did one about the ACH network. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, we'll put a a link in. I'll have to take a listen tonight. Um, Because, yeah, it does sort of blow my mind how moving bits around, you know, people have figured out how to make fees on that. You know, it's just, you know down in austin for the weekend and watching people 
buying things at food trucks, um, you know, for four or five, six dollars. And almost everyone pays with a credit card. Almost every food truck in this case was using square readers with iPads and, you know, nice little custom cases. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, they've, they've, people have managed to create this network in which every time someone gets a, uh, you know, a donut from the food truck, you know, a couple different people are making a few cents on that purchase. It's kind of crazy. Mm, go back to using cash. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, do Square has just added another level to it. Exactly. It's not like they're, you know. I mean, are there any other countries that are doing types, different types of touchless payment or other things where some of those intermediaries are removed or do you think there's a, I don't know. I mean, the only one I know about is chip and pin, but that's the same Visa MasterCard people. Right. Like, that's no different. I wonder if there's a future in which, you know, the, they all pay with Bitcoin, fractional Bitcoins. <laughs> no, where, where the, you know, federal in national treasuries or, or, you know, the monetary um, institutions of countries get involved with this and say, you know, cur- currency is more than just paper currency, but, you know, they officially sanction some sort of electronic transactions. I think there would be so much lobbying against that. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's not going to happen here. Yeah. But I mean, like, I could see a small country just making Bitcoin their official currency or something. Yeah. Or something like Bitcoin. Yeah, it's conceit. I mean, the problem is it can't be your official currency. I mean, you can't get rid of paper currency. Well, but I mean, you could have a currency where there was an electronic element like Bitcoin. I don't know. Where, where like, the paper currency was a physical manifestation of the Bitcoins. Um, it couldn't be that. Because then you would have to deal with creating and destroying the paper currency. I suppose, yeah. Otherwise, you could, like, take it out in paper, and then there'd be twice as much money. So you'd have the inflationary and deflationary pressures. Mm. So it'd have to just be like two separate currencies that were like pegged to each other. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Someone should solve it because it's kind of silly. Um, start your own federated payment system. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, Federated payment, yeah. You, you're not allowed to start your own currency, though, right? No. No, that's illegal. Unless you call it flus. Didn't they... Wasn't there just a thing about Bitcoin being illegal? Um, there was some... I'm not remembering which way it went, but I know there was just a case about this. Yeah, some Whether country is trying to claim it's it was, currency. Or... It was the U.S. was saying it was... There was a case in U.S. court about whether or not it counted as a currency huh. and whether or not that was, like, made it illegal. I don't remember which way it went. Well, um, regardless, I like food trucks. That's, I think, the takeaway. Um, so you want to talk about BT Sync? Sure. Yeah, so this... Um, 
First off, let's say regular we'll- listeners yeah. might remember that we bought these kickstarted devices called transporters, right? Transporters? Yeah, yeah from Connected Which- Data, now Drobo. And um, really um, active listeners might remember that we hated them. <laughs> um, yeah, so we returned all three of them. Now we don't have them anymore. No, we we definitely did not like them. We gave them a fair chance. We gave them time to fix their software. Um, good idea. Terribly, terribly flawed implementation. Um, and so we've gone you know we went back to the drawing boards to look for a solution to keep a large amount of data in sync between two offices that are geographically distant um and by large amount we're talking you know hundreds of gigabytes so we pretty much ruled out things like dropbox for a couple reasons um one just cost get um, dropbox gets pretty expensive once you go past about 100 gigs um and two we both operate um part-time or full-time off of laptops with ssds and the dropbox model of syncing um doesn't everything goes in a folder right yeah and so you can you know you can put your dropbox on external disk but you can't have sort of some of your dropbox on one disk and some of it on another and in this case you know there's a lot of data on my dropbox i want to keep with me all the time and some that i couldn't possibly store on my built-in ssd yes um so we looked at you know well, we can have Dropbox and Box.net or something, or Dropbox and Google Drive, but that gets pretty, you know, you're running multiple sync clients and it gets pretty messy, I think. Um, and then we were, and we looked at some of the commercial NASs, like from uh, Synology, which seem to do a pretty um, adequate job. You can, you know, they're basically Linux boxes, so you can set them up to sync with each other across distances, but. Uh, we don't need any of the fancy stuff they have, like all the Synology boxes and whatnot have multiple drives with their and the rating and, and all the other things, yeah. expandable stuff and, you know, quotas. And there's just a lot of stuff there we don't need. We would need like a USB disk that's synced. And uh, so those just seemed like, you know, you don't really get into one of those for less than, you know, a thousand bucks or something. Um and so we were sort of settling on just setting up little Linux boxes to sync. And um, you saw a billboard. I saw a billboard here in San Francisco when we were driving home one day. And uh, it's for B- BitTorrent Sync from the, the BitTorrent folks. Right. Um, it's a beta project they have, but it sounds like it's already pretty big. Um and it's, you know, the idea is it's a client just like Dropbox. You set a couple folders and you generate like a cryptographic key. And then you can hand that key to someone else and it just starts syncing that folder to the uh, anyone who has that key. And so it's using BitTorrent technology for um, a variety of different parts of it. So um, things like NAT penetration, you know, if both hosts are behind NAT, they can use a a third-party host to connect the two. Um, It uses BitTorrent technology for host discovery, for finding each other, um, which is still a little magic to me. I really don't understand how that works. Um, And then they use it for actually distributed um, file transfer where they break a file into chunks that are, you know, hashable, they can send little um, 
chunks of files from different hosts and they all get assembled back together on the destination. So right now I'm syncing a bunch of stuff to two computers of Mike's um, and I'm sending different chunks to each of his two computers and then his two computers are sending those chunks to each other as well. Um, yeah, so that, that way we saturate your pipe and then we saturate my up and down. Right. It's pretty slick. Um, yeah, I mean, And it's been rock solid so far. Yeah, so far we've um, done, I don't know, a couple hundred gigs. Um, no problems. It's a very lightweight client. Um, I really like that you can have different folders with different rules and different folders shared with different people. Um, mm-hmm. They also have a mobile client where you can access stuff remotely. Um, like without syncing on, but you can like browse and then pull down individual objects. Right. Visual files, which is right. slick. Yeah, I mean, it It definitely it, it solves our specific need incredibly well. Um, I don't necessarily know for other people how useful it would be depending on... I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you need to give a friend a big folder full of stuff. Right. Um, or I guess, you know, I guess if you wanted to have like a private sort of piracy folder, you know, I could see a group of people in a dorm or something just sharing one key. And then everyone dumps their stuff into that folder, you know. There's probably uses like yeah, that. Yeah, I as mean, well. this is, you know, anywhere you're using Dropbox, it seems like a perfectly. Well, now, the things it doesn't do that Dropbox does, um, the, the biggest one for me was the ability to share stuff via the web. Um, right. Because if I need to give a file to a client, um, you know, test out this beta of Scopebox, I don't want to have to say, well, install BT sync and then enter this, you know, million digit hash right. and w- wait for it to sync. Um, so right. that's, you know, a bit of a bummer. It makes sense why they don't have that, obviously, because there is no central server from which to host a website. Um, and, you know, the other stuff, just by fact, the fact that it doesn't have that web server, things like, versioning which it does have um are a little less accessible um but are are there um and who knows i mean they may i i i really don't have a great sense of how BitTorrent the company exists um and whether they're actually looking to monetize this stuff or what their legal status is or any of that um yeah if they are looking to monetize, I could see them, you know, offering a hosted cloud service or something that created a web gateway to your BT sync folders. Right. I mean, that's something, you know, you can also set that up yourself. If you're, if you're building an infrastructure on this, like there's nothing, we could get an EC2 client or something. Right. I mean, I, you know, spent an hour one morning hacking together a really simple web client that, acts as a front end for a synced folder on a Linux box so that I can go to a website and generate a hashed URL for linking to a file. But in that case, it relies on having a copy of the file on the server itself. Um, They've recently announced an API, which may allow you to actually implement sort of browse and download functionality without needing to sync, which would be good. Yeah, so far so good. I would definitely say check it out. Um, I could see, you know, a lot of different uses if you wanted to just have a backup folder. Um, the fact that the sync is pretty seamless and seemingly, you know, pretty reliable, um, you know. Or having, I mean, 
you know, we didn't test with having to having previously cloned all the content over. Right. I'm not sure how that works, but if that works, you know, I could totally see, you know, when you have two editors working remote from each other, you know, just it's not uncommon. They both take a copy of the data home on a drive and then just run this in the background to keep, you know, whatever little changes in sync. Right. Um, I mean, it's, you know, at a higher level, like if you had, you know, two sands you wanted to keep in sync, um, you know, if you only have two locations, I guess our sync is probably just as good, if not better, um, in terms of the flexibility and configurability. But as soon as you add a third you location, have to, you have to configure it. Right. Right. But I mean, this is nice cause it's, you know, it's client software. Yeah, that's true. Um, but especially if you needed to add a third location, suddenly the benefits of the, the BitTorrent uh, protocol really come into play, and um, it becomes pretty awesome for that. Yeah. So um, they also do do file-level diffs. So if you're making changes to files, um, or block-level, I should say, um, it'll only sync the changed bits, uh, which is nice. So definitely yeah, cool. It's so. free. Check it out. Um, I'm impressed. Yeah, me too. And I, I'm endlessly amused that it was a billboard that turned us onto it. That's how it works. That's why there's still billboards. I shouldn't admit that. Otherwise, maybe they'd go away. What? If no one used billboards, they'd tear them all down. Oh, right. So you've prolonged the urban blight, is what you're yes, saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, Cisco open sourced something. H.264. But it was already, I mean, I don't understand. I've read, we have a couple articles linked. Mm -hmm. I've read them. I still Mm -hmm. don't understand what they did. Okay, so here's my understanding. You call up um, the nice folks at uh mpeg la and you say i'd like to license all your patents and they say great here's what it's going to cost and then you say and so for that i get a copy of the uh, encoder and decoder right and they go oh no why you need that um and so this is nice because there's now source code but there's been a reference encoder and reference decoder right but they don't they're not usable but they also did something where they released a binary or they're going to be releasing a binary encoder or decoder encoder right. decoder. So if you use the binary, they have paid the licensing on it. Right. Right. But they're also releasing some chunk of source code. Right. And I imagine if you're someone like Mozilla, you can use the source code and then get back to them on the number of people who've downloaded it and they'll pay the license on all those people. Right, and that's that's basically what this is about, is that they want to have this binary available for Firefox to use to implement the WebRTC protocol, which is a endlessly rebooted um, spec for doing real-time communications on the web, so like real-time audio video, like you would currently have to do via Flash. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's good. I mean, it means we can finally, like, give up an AUG and... Oh, you know, we can finally say like HD64 is the de facto standard on the web. You know, VP8 is dead. Long live VP8. Right. Um, 
Which is good. I mean, I think this is, you know, this is definitely, I mean, the reason why Cisco did it is because it's going to speed the adoption of WebRTC. It's going to make it actually possible to call someone and be like, oh, yeah, look, you do have it. Right. And they want, they have interoperability then with their high-end with conferencing all their, units and all that jazz. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. It's interesting because Firefox had already announced they were going to be supporting H.264 for the video tag within the browser using on system Windows. stuff. Uh, and on Mac. They did say Mac. Okay. Yeah. Just they hadn't, I think, figured out how they were going to do it on Linux. Um, but, yeah. So maybe they roll in Cisco's on Linux and then Cisco, I mean, ends up paying virtually nothing in licensing. Right. And in exchange, Mozilla will stop whining about this and we can get on to all the other things that don't work with the WebRTC. Um, I suspect that won't happen, but uh, it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought. I Um, mean, what, like, this was like the big barrier, right? The the big the big known barrier that, since we haven't done any of the like actual rollout. Right. Yeah. I mean, WebRTC is such a mess, but oh well. Um, so, how do you think this impacts things like Ziftala and some of the other open source codecs? Oh, I don't know. I mean, those were always dead in the water. Okay. I know you were trying to segue there, but I <laughs> I just put I just put the Ziftala in because I had never heard of it. Oh. Okay. Um, and it was mentioned in like Firefox's blog post about this. They're like, we we're still thinking Ziftal was going to be the big thing. Um, and so I looked at it and it was interesting because it's actually like, you know, it's mostly just people like talking about like, oh, what would a codec look like if we had to start over? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, it's cool stuff about, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, engineer to engineer speak about like ways we could reimagine making a video get deck, but it's never, I mean, it's not a but viable it seems like alternative for yeah, anything. It seems like it's a technical conversation and it's sort of leaving aside the, the legal aspects. Um, they're specifically trying to, I mean, they have some goals in mind specifically to get rid of DCT um, you know, and a couple other things. The idea being that they're going to sidestep the most contentious parts of HT six four. Okay, but I just I mean the idea that you can, you know, throw any six words together nowadays and not be patent encumbered, I think is bananas and incredibly naive. Right. Um, but you know, it's a bunch of engineers sitting around. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's inherently, you know, optimistic and naive proposition. But it's, you know, it's fun to see. It's neat. It's, you know, it's a neat thing to read through if you're interested in sort of the level nitty gritty of Codex. Because unlike, you know, most of the time you see these things, it's like, oh, look at all the stuff that H264 does, you know, and you get these like teardowns of the existing spec. And you end up spending all your time going, why did they put that in? And, you know, half the time it's political BS. This is like a bunch of people sitting around basically just pie in the sky. You know, they don't, they're not encumbered by ever having to ship anything of any use to anyone. And so 
<laughs> you know, it's just a conversation about like, wow, we could do it this way. What if instead of squares, we use lines, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, maybe give it a try. Get back to us. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, meanwhile, there hasn't been too much movement on H265 as far as I've seen, HEVC. Yeah. Um, no one's like, yeah, no one, I mean, is it just a hardware thing? I mean, they make hardware decoders, but we're not seeing yeah. them like go in, even in Android, they're not going in yet, are they? I haven't seen any yet, no. Um, and I, You would think they'd be first. Yeah, I mean, I would sort of think that, um, you know, we would have seen a, well, I don't know. I could have seen a case for Apple making an announcement about it. Um, it certainly makes a ton of sense for mobile devices, but uh, yeah, it's a chicken and egg thing, though. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I'm, I Apple really... has the numbers; they could be the first one to do it, and people would actually encode for it. Right. I mean, that, yeah, that's basically what happened with the video tag. Like when the iPhone came out, uh, people said, "Oh, it's going to be doomed without Flash," and Steve said, "No, people will just make H two sixty four." Right. And they did. Right. Um, also, the the weird streaming spec that they came out with. Yeah. They sort of forced that one on everybody, too. Yeah. <laughs> and then every year they change it because it's not yeah. actually a spec. And every year they say, we're totally going to write it up this year. Actually, they've stopped saying that. Huh. Um, yeah. Well, oh, well. I guess we'll wait for another... Yeah. So is that good? We want to go to Jenner? Uh, we we can do that. I still like T-Mobile a lot. Did I, I didn't mention that. I traveled oh. with it for the first time. It worked well. Good. They just announced their Q something, Q3 numbers, gained 1.1 million customers. Um, there was a good write-up in Bloomberg Business that, Week. That's a lot for them, right? Yeah, I mean, they you know, at the start of this year, all the analysts had projected that they would be losing customers throughout this whole year. And Bloomberg right. Business Week had a good write-up on this turnaround, the uncarrier sort of thing. But yeah, they, um, I, I believe they that means they gained substantially more customers than any of the other um, carriers. Um, last quarter they gained six hundred fifty thousand, and the next highest was like Verizon at five hundred thousand. So oh, for the for fourth, fourth biggest carrier to be gaining more customers each month than you know AT and T and Verizon is pretty substantial. Yeah, that's great. Um, they've also um announced there's been some confusion about this but they're basically giving 200 megs of free data to anyone with an ipad um even if you don't have any other t-mobile service wait so you can just walk in and get us in from them yep no no cost nope oh but you mean surely you have to sign up for something right uh i mean you probably have to give them like you give them all like they do the credit or and everything credit check and everything right and are set up for your overages no, because there's no overages. They just turn you off? They slow you down to slow speeds. Oh, wait, so you can use it? Wait, not not for that. I really? think so. You can use it? You can just use it? I think so. No matter what. Yeah. Like, wow. So at that point, there's really no reason not to buy all of your iPads with the little SIM slot. Right. Wow. Um, the only time I think they charge is if you buy one through them and you finance in that case you need to sign up for some sort of plan because they need to keep you paying your financing or something right um but even then i think it's ten dollars a month or something wow have you done it 
Is your iPad? No, my iPad's not. Um, it doesn't have the 3G or whatever, 4G, yeah. LTE. Um, but, I, you know, if I were buying a new one, I think I definitely would. You know, it's yeah. kind of unfortunate that Apple charges such a premium for that, but at least this means you're not having to get a separate data plan. Yeah. Maybe that, I mean, I can imagine them dropping the price on that if there's actually alternatives. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, so far so good. So. Because, I mean, that 140 bucks is basically entirely subsidized at this point, right? With all the other... What do you mean? Like, if you... I mean, it costs 140 bucks more to buy an iPad with a SIM slot. But at that point, you have to buy the plan anyways, and the carrier will subsidize you more than 140 bucks to buy a data plan, right? No, I don't think any of the carriers are subsidizing iPads. No? No. Huh. And my th- my understanding on that fee was always that because when the iPad first launched, you could get un- unlimited data for AT and T for like twenty bucks a month, and that lasted for about a week. And but my understanding at the time was like that was a kickback going back to the carrier because they were all carrier locked to pay huh. to justify the cheap data going forward. Weird. But now they're not carrier locked, and you can't get unlimited data. So. It's time for Tim Cook to put some, tighten some screws. Yeah. It certainly doesn't cost $140 to put a cell modem in. No. Antenna and stuff, maybe. But mm. even then, can't be that much. Especially if you just scry, if you cut your product differentiation right, in half. Again, I, I mean, yeah. Given how many other configurables that, you know, saves them. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. So, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. So. We'll see what's next for T-Mobile. Anyways, uh, Chatter, what's your Chatter this week? So I just found, um, I think we've talked about like some of these streaming Hangout type things, all the various things that Apple or Google's trying to do to roll Hangouts. Yeah. Um, and they started another one, which I think was announced today, um, called Google Helpout, where you go and you can basically like book time either for money or free, depending upon the host, to chat with someone. So you can go and, like, you know, I guess in theory, like, do a personal trainer through your webcam or do, um, you know, like a cooking class or ukulele, you know, lessons was one of the ones that they, someone mentioned. Um, But the one that caught my eye is the doctors the like medical group that i use out here in san francisco Mm -hmm. has like nurse practitioners on it and so as long as you're a member of my like health group one medical you can just call for free and like say does this rash look bad and they'll say i don't know it's really blocky and then you go yeah that's actually what it looks like and then they say oh yeah i don't know if they're i mean It'll be interesting to see if they'll like cut you a prescription over it or something. Right. God, I hope not. Why? I mean, doctors will prescribe you over the phone all the time. I suppose that's true. Yeah. No this is like this thing's better than that. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna write a uh, Cormedia IO um, shim to my webcam. And make like a turn your skin green. So 
filter and call them up and be like, is this normal? <laughs> and see what they say. My skin's turned into fish. Now my yeah. skin's on a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. I mean, it's interesting because Google's had a number of failed attempts in this space before, but this seems more likely to be successful because it's a more narrowly focused. Like, like they've, what was the... they've tried to do basically stack overflow competitors or uh, what was Jason Calacanis's thing that they tried to compete with? They both failed. Uh, uh, Mahalo? Mahalo. What? I don't even remember what Mahalo was. It was like a web TV show, right? Uh, I think that was one of their pivots, but I think it started <sighs> as like a a Google or a thing where you could pay money to get answers for stuff. Uh, I don't know. Ask.com. No. Yahoo Yahoo questions. Yahoo questions. Answers. Yeah. But this seems much cooler. I mean, this is more along the lines of... um, This solves at least one of the problems with the the standard model, which was you asked a question and people chose to answer or not, which meant that most of the people who were answering basically just need to constantly fill the internet with crap like they're just satisfying their need to publish crap all day long on the internet yeah correct or not you know like you go on yahoo and it's like oh i don't know the answer to that like (laughs) yep you couldn't just hit next you didn't have to (laughs) no sorry um or like i looked this up on wikipedia and here's what i found it's like no stop it so at least this is like Okay, this person says they know this. Right. This is like about it. I mean, this is somewhere along the lines of Quora, but more obviously real time communication means you're going to be a different type of communication. Right. And Quora still is is still the flip side of this, where you post a question and people choose to answer you. I think I think this is like. I mean, so the fact that it's video makes and like one-on-one makes it more likely that people are willing to pay cash money for it which solves the like real inherent problem is that there's no way to like make money doing any of these um which means the people you get you know have to be motivated by some other need i.e publishing crap on the internet all day yeah um i mean this is along the lines of what amazon introduced with the new kindles Um, yeah same idea. Yeah. But they don't have to make money. Well, that, because they're Amazon. Well, they make it back in market cap. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to give it a try. Um, I guess yeah, I'm totally going to try this doctor thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, my, my chatter this week, uh, just a quick link to a Verge post on... Um, I think their post is specific to DC, but um, talks about a, a service called Spot Shooter or Shooter Spotter. Shot Spotter? Shot Spotter um, that just uses microphones basically scattered throughout a city to lo- uh, detect and localize gunfire, um, which I think is interesting. I've read about this before, but... Uh, yeah. Um, they so can... how do you feel about these sort of things? Uh, I mean ambivalent but accepting um yeah you know it's the reality it's going to happen i this worries me less than you know the london style cctv i guess or the uh who was the one i read this week about the people who are putting uh sensors in the 
sewer system so that they can try to track upstream um, explosive and drug making in houses. Oh. So basically, if you flush anything down the toilet, they're like, oh, that was a bomb precursor. Yeah. And they like follow it back up the pipes until they find you. Crazy. Mm, totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I sort of have accepted that that's the reality going forward. And there's, you know, especially for something like this, there's really no hope of pushing back against it. So, yeah. I mean, I think, it, yeah. This one seems like a clear-cut case to me. Like, unless, like, if you can't be troubled to use a crossbow and or put a... Like, if your guns are noisy, you're like... Your expectation of privacy when you... Is like, your expectation of privacy when you light off a bomb is pretty low. Right. And, and I mean... Same thing with a gun. And all it does is sends a cop to your area, you know? It's not... Right. So if you're shooting people in the comfort of your own home... In the privacy of your own home, then you're probably fine. Right. Um, yeah. You know. I agree. So. But you should be aware of that if you're going to go firing guns. Use a crossbow. Use a crossbow. That's the takeaway. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see you um, next week. Now we can turn on our BT sync again, get it back to syncing. I think they should have called it BitTorrent sync because it's now BT sync in my mind because that's what the app is called. Oh, but it is called BitTorrent Sync. Right, but I mean, they should have called the app BitTorrent Sync too. Didn't they? Why do I call it BT Sync? I think because I called the first folder BT Sync. Oh, no, it's because the Linux client is called BT Sync. Oh. That's because on Linux, characters are very expensive. I don't think they support spaces. So. Sure. You have to use a slash. Okay, talk to you next week. Adios.